and you're listening to a sermon from Bent Tree Church in Loveland, Colorado. For more information about Bent Tree, visit BentTreeChurch.com. Amen. You may be seated. Well, welcome everyone to Bent Tree Church. Uh, just wonderful worship. I just love singing with you. Thank you, band, for leading us. But this is this is this time when we all sing together. I just long for that. I, I love that. Glad you could join us here today. My name is Paul Trimble. I'm one of the pastors here. And a uh, couple of things before we begin is that uh, since before the COVID whole mess that uh, that the world has been into, we have not had a youth program. Uh, but now we have restarted our youth program under the leadership of Hal Hudson. Hal, would you stand up for just a second? Give him a big welcome. Yeah, Hal Hudson. And uh, Hal is going to be leading our middle school and high school D3 groups. We cannot wait for that to start. So if you've got a D uh, or a D3, if you've got a, a student in middle school or high school, uh, make sure you talk to him or get them uh, to talk to him, introduce them. But I, I also want you to know, it, maybe God's just putting on your heart to be involved in that ministry somehow with that. Second thing, and this is not as fun, but just just what it is. I mean, yesterday we celebrated the 20th anniversary of the 9-11 attacks uh, on the United States by terrorists. And I don't know where you are on that, but um, just personally, as as I've thought about it and thought back, I know if you're, you know, uh, well, let's say if you're 20 uh, or younger, you don't uh, really have the same feeling. That's not to to make fun of you at all. Um, I, I know if you remember those, what you felt on those days and you felt, I don't know, I shed tears that day. Anybody else? It was just, it was just a weird feeling day. Now I bring this up because as I started to see the pictures on social media and I started to uh, hear stories of like, where were you? What? And then we watched a little uh, show the other day that uh, it was the musical based on like when the planes had to fly into Canada. You know what I'm talking about? And they had to stay there for a week. We watched that. And then just made me kind of start looking up some of those things. And and, and the end of uh, 2019, I was in Manhattan and I got to go to the 9-11 memorial and just pretty powerful. For you guys that remember this, you'll know what I'm talking about. For you guys that are younger that don't really remember that feeling, there was, there was this thing that happened right after is churches were packed. I mean, they, we had to add services, add seats because we just couldn't, we couldn't fit everybody in. Everybody wanted to know that God was in control. What's interesting, that happened for a, I don't know, a few weeks and then it numbers went back to normal. And then from then, I think church membership has just declined ever since. Not for us. It's gone up. We've planted since then. But the reason I bring that up is I think that we are coming into a time as true believers in Christ Jesus, where we will face some big things, where people will will go, hey, they're going to look for answers. They're going to look to you and you and you. They're going to go, you're a Christian. Why is this happening? You have got to be grounded in the word of God. Because these things are going to happen. Now, don't hear me saying, hey, I think uh, on this date, a prophecy of something bad's going to happen. I'm just going, I think we're getting close to the end. I think Jesus is going to return. And, and if he doesn't, he'll come for me, I'm sure. Because uh, I'm not going to live, you know, forever. 
I'm going to live for a few more years, but I'm praying that Jesus comes back. And the question is, are you ready? And is your family ready? It just brought up some stuff. As we kind of remember back of what God has done. God is good. Amen? Even in the middle of strife, God is good. Well, who brought their Bible today? Let's hold those things up. Sorry, got a little message before the message. Good job, good job. Now listen, if you didn't bring your Bible, uh, you can look at it on your phone. Uh, and then the Bible app actually has our notes on there. So if you look under events under the Bible app, the bottom right, you can see our church among others. Uh, you can look and pull up those notes. Or the D3 questions are also there. You can take a look at those. But... Um, I say bring your Bible, but really it's a collection of 66 books, isn't it? 66 books uh, that are life. Read this thing. Cling to it. Study it. Hold it tight. I mean, it's cling to this like a drowning man clings to a life preserver in the middle of an ocean. You see what I mean? This is life. That's what we do here uh, at Bentry Church. We make this His word, the centerpiece of our worship on Sundays. The preaching of God's word. And I don't mean to say, make it about me. You often hear me say, uh, or pray, I I hope I disappear. And I hope God's word is the one that's presented. Because that's what we call the ordinary means of grace. It's a theological term. It simply means the ordinary way that God speaks to us through the special or, or through the weekly preaching and teaching of the Bible. Make sense? Now he can give you special messages and just impress on you, but this is why the weekly preaching and teaching of God's word is so important. We, the brothers and sisters in Christ, come together as believers to dive deep in this book to grow deep. And well, you can be turning to John chapter three. I'm sure that was a surprise. As we continue in our series Uh, through the gospel of John as we work our way verse by verse. Today we're going to jump right in where we left off last week. We're going to keep examining chapter 3 in verse 16. We'll start and we're going to go through verse 21 and we'll kind of concentrate on verses 18 through 21. If you can, I would just invite you to stand right now in honor of God's word. If you can, if you can't stand, don't worry about it. Just in reverence as we read the word of God. Listen carefully as I read. Starting in verse 16 of chapter 3 of John. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son. So that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. But to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned. But anyone who does not believe is already condemned. Because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people loved darkness rather than the light. Because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it. So that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. Amen. You may be seated. As we begin today, would you just close your eyes in prayer? Let's go to God. If there's anything on your heart you need to pray for, anything you need to repent of right now, just do that.
Oh, Father, we come to you in the excellent name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. God, as we walk through John 3, we're just astonished by the love that you have given us. You have shown us in the giving of your Son. We thank you for that love. We thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus. Today, our prayer is that you would just continue to open these deep things that we might be changed by them. Lord, I I pray that I disappear And that your word would just be central. I pray for those listening this morning that you would take whatever is on their mind and set it aside. Help them to fully focus on you this morning as your spirit speaks to us just individually and as a group, as a family. God, we want to see your truth this morning. Help me to preach your truth rightly in a way everyone can understand it. In the name of Jesus Christ, we all prayed and said... Amen, amen. Well, people have asked me, how long, Pastor Paul, will we be staying in John chapter 3, in this little section of scripture? And the answer is, I don't know. (laughs) Or I guess I should say, until the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is done with us here. Uh, But this section is just so jam-packed full of the goodness of God as he tells us what it means to be saved and why uh, he saves us and how he saves us. And we just don't want to rush that. Today, as we concentrate on verses 18 through 21, this is the last part of that late night conversation Jesus is having with this leading uh, Pharisee, this leading teacher, Nicodemus. Jesus has been answering the question on Nicodemus' heart. Well, I shouldn't say, he say, ask it out loud. Jesus answers out loud, but Jesus knows the question on Nicodemus' heart. That is, how do I enter the kingdom of heaven? And the short answer to that question that Jesus answers, he says, you must be born again. Or in other words, it's not something you do, it's something that is done for you. We are born again, we are regenerated, given faith by God to believe. Brought from death into life, spiritually. And specifically, we believe that Jesus, the Son of God, sent by God the Father as an act of love, as the perfect atoning sacrifice for our sins. In the last few weeks, we've been studying verse 16, and it's been so amazing to see what God has for us in giving us his son, Jesus. Now, as that nighttime conversation is is coming to a close, Nicodemus is almost done with Jesus. Jesus unloads some pretty heavy-duty stuff in this conversation in these last few verses. So we want to make sure we understand this. This is life and death. Let's begin. Look in your Bibles at verse 18. Unpack the richness that God has for us in this text. Look at verse 18. Think about this. Verse 17 just told us that God did not send his son Jesus into the world to condemn the world. But what? To save the world through Jesus. Then it says in verse 18, anyone who believes in him is not condemned. But anyone who does not believe is already condemned. Because he has not believed in the name of the one and only son of God. Now what we are about to see is a bright line of salvation of those that are saved by Christ, by the grace of Jesus, and those who are not. Now, I don't know if I bore you with this stuff, but you know that I love to explore in the mountains. I'm a, I'm a mountain man. Like, I could, do, I could do the beach. You know, I'd do the beach for about a week, but i got to get back to the mountains. Anybody else with me? I, I, I love the mountains, and I love to explore in my Jeep. It's like hiking for lazy people. 
I really enjoy it. And one of the types of trails that I love are, are the best ones that go further up and further in. Now, for you Chronicles of Narnia fans, C.S. Lewis fans, you may get that reference. Further up, further in. It's taken from the last battle. I love the high mountain roads. I love the passes. I love being above Timberline. The views, the air, the rush. I love to explore. But one of the things I've pointed out to you is that it's not for the faint of heart. Because it's, it's usually very steep. So steep that you can't walk on the road. You could climb, maybe. But... It's so steep, you got to be in four low, four-wheel drive, going, got to have big tires, and very steep, and then on the edge of the road, very sheer cliffs at times, and sometimes on both sides. As a jeeper, it's critical to keep your eyes on the road and to keep moving slowly, carefully up, while at the same time knowing where those edges are. You keep your eyes on the road, but you know where the edges are. Now, I keep my eyes on the road, but I have to make a quick glance everywhere. Once in a while, I go, where Where am I at? In regards to my wheels at this moment, because there's a cliff right there. It's a thousand foot. That may just be a foot or a thousand feet. Either way, I don't want to go over the edge. To me, this is the perfect example of this text. Because let's take a look at the word condemned. The word condemned in verse 18. This word condemned is the edge of the road. You go over this one, there's no coming back. It's to, it's to figure out where this edge is, though. The word condemned is a legal word, right? It's, it's used in courtrooms or in prison sentences. The Greek word here translates to condemned. Write this down. The Greek word is krino. Krino, to pass judgment or decided guilt. In other words, nobody's arguing this guy's guilty or this girl's guilty. Krino. To pass judgment or decided guilt. Think of that when you hear this condemned. So make sure you get this. In verse 18. Anyone who believes in him, talking about Jesus, is not condemned. Not crino. But anyone who does not believe is already crino. Condemned. Because he has not believed in the name of the one and only son of God. Talk about a bright line where the edge of the road is. Anyone who believes in Jesus is not crino. He's not judged. Anyone who, who uh, does not believe is already crino. He's already judged. Or to say it more plainly, more clearly, those that don't believe in Jesus have already been judged guilty. Those that don't believe in Jesus Christ have already been judged guilty. Now, just like when I'm jeeping on those high mountain passes, we don't want to go too fast, so let's put it in four-wheel low, and let's get down on this, make sure that we understand where is the road, where is the edge. Let's make sure that we are getting this. Here's what we need to know. Those who do not believe don't trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Jesus himself says, They're already condemned. You got that part? So let's take a look at a couple of important questions around that part. First, when were these people condemned? And second, why are they condemned? Let's take the first one. When were these people condemned? Well, this passage we're going to look at here in just a moment 
was written by King David, the great psalm writer, Psalm 51. We'll get there in just a minute. Check this out. He wrote this after he had been confronted by the prophet, kind of like a pastor, about his sin of David's sin where he has an adulterous affair with one of his, check this out, best friend's wives and then has the friend murdered. Talk about guilt. The guy confronts him. says, you've sinned. David repents. David repents. And this is one of the things he writes. He says, indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. David was guilty of the sin of adultery and of murder. Yes. But David is saying, no, 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 no. He says, I was born into sin. It's not just then. He was guilty. He knew he's guilty of that. He said, I was born into it. It's what we, we've seen back in our study of Genesis when we saw the first man and woman sin. And then we've, we see it here again in the Gospel of John. This doctrine of original sin. When our first forefather, Adam, fell into sin, we fell. We were all judged guilty. In Romans 5, the Apostle Paul tells us that Adam, that first man, is our federal head. Means he represents us before God. What that means is that Adam's sin was then imputed, given to us into our account. Or another way to say it, Adam's sin is counted as our sin when God looks at us. And you may say, Paul, that's not fair. And God says, nobody asked you. You've got to understand that it's not about being fair or not. For it's about justice, what God says justice is. What God says justice is, not what we believe it should be. Like you can go, well, I think it should be this. And when the difference is, is you're not God. We are born into sin, the Bible tells us. Sinful from even before we take our first breath. So when we are judged guilty, when we are born, we are born into judge, judgment. Or to be more precise, we are born under the judgment of God. Here's what we got to get down. Before someone is saved through faith in Christ Jesus, it's not as if he has the ability or the freedom to choose to be guilty or not guilty. We start off from guilt. According to Jesus, mankind has already made his choice in Adam. We are all guilty. Are you with me? And we've been condemned by God to die for those sins. That's our default status. That's how we come into the world. Well, the prophet Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 53, verse 6, he says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord, Yahweh, has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Praise God. Let's see if we can get some perspective from the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 2. Switch over to Ephesians 2. New Testament book, little bitty book. Paul's talking to Christians. This is important you understand. And explaining what has happened to them. How they became Christians. He said this in verse 1 of chapter 2. He says, and you, you Christians, were dead in, in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. Following the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan, 
the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Underline sons of disobedience. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And were by nature children of wrath. Look at that. We were by nature children of wrath. Like the rest of mankind. All mankind. Children of wrath. Check that sons of disobedience phrase out in your Bible there. Make sure you're getting this. When Adam's sin is imputed to us at birth, what do we get? Do we get his actual sin or do we get Adam's sin nature? The great theologian Augustine put it this way. After the fall of Adam into sin, it is not possible for man not to sin. We get his nature. Not his exact sin. We get his nature. The nature of sin. This goes back to that phrase, sons of disobedience. Think about Jesus was talking about earlier in verse 6 of John 3 when Jesus says, flesh gives birth to flesh. You remember that? Meeting on sinful human beings. We can only give birth to another Generation of sinful human beings. That's the only way we have. Before Jesus, we are all sons and daughters of disobedience. It's your default status. A phrase we've used in the past to help us understand this is right here. We are sinners not because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. Now this isn't just semantics here. There's some deep truth. We are sinners. Our nature Not because we sin. It's not just because you sinned that you were a sinner. We sin because that's our nature. We're sinners. We got Adam's sin nature. You were born into it. It's in your DNA. Just like David, we're born sinners. Born into a fallen world. That's hard to hear in it. Especially in a world that says you're the center of it. So with that in mind, let's go back to John 3. The first question, when were these people Jesus talking about in verse 18 condemned? The answer, they were condemned. That's everybody. They were all born into Adam when they were born. We're all condemned. This is very critical you understand this. If we die in Adam, listen, without hearing and understanding and believing in and trusting in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we suffer Eternal separation, eternal separation from the presence of a holy God in hell, conscious punishment. That is the condition we are born into. But if by the sovereign grace of a holy God we hear, understand, believe, trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are transferred from being in Adam. To being in Christ. Christ becomes our federal head. Where we enjoy all the rights and privileges of being sons of God. Adopted. Can I get an amen for that? I mean we're adopted. We didn't do anything to, to do that. He, he said you're mine. Come on. We're made children of God. We are adopted into the family of God. Now a quick important warning. I need to go off here for just a minute. I don't want you to go in a bad direction doctrinally. Because there's a false doctrine that sometimes reformed people fall into. 
It's usually people that are not reformed, but reformed people fall into this too. There's a false, false doctrine that some people have fallen into over time, and I want to equip you so that you don't fall in and that you can help someone else that may have. What we're not saying, what we are not saying is that babies and children who die are automatically condemned to hell because they don't believe in Jesus as their Savior and Lord. Because you you could go that way, couldn't you? Because we're all born, we're all born guilty, but we're not saying that we're, that babies go to hell if they die, or little kids. I believe that to be a false doctrine. I do. Here's what I mean. The prophet Isaiah prophesied this. Now, I'm going to give you the prophecy. It's not necessarily the prophecy we're talking about, but the meaning behind it. Isaiah 7, verse 16. For behold, I'm sorry, for before the boy knows to reject what is bad and choose what is good, the land of the two kings you dread will be abandoned. Now, don't worry about the prophecy. We'll get to that someday. But look at the truth that's included with the prophecy. Do you see it? Isaiah was talking about a child that would be born. It's not born yet, would be born. And he says, before the boy knows to reject, once the boy is born, knows to reject what is bad and choose what is good. Here's a truth. So get this. There is a before time in a person's life, in childhood, that they're not able to choose between good or bad. Some theologians have a a term for this. I like the term the age of accountability. And, And that's not the same age for every child. It's different. I mean, personally, just as your pastor, I've seen it as young as six, really, the youngest. I think for me personally, it was seven When I hit that, I've seen it as late as 12 years old. There's an age where we become accountable for our actions. But before we are accountable for our actions, what happens to us? I believe we are counted as innocent under the blood of Jesus. Check this out. If there is a time before a child can choose and that child dies in that time, I truly believe what the scripture teaches is that the child is covered by the grace of Christ Jesus demonstrated at the cross. Now let me give you another example of scripture because this is a painful subject because there's been so many false teaching, mainly coming out of the Catholic church. I know moms and dads here that have lost young children, babies, even in utero. And you're asking, will I see my child in heaven? And I believe the answer is, if you're a Christian, you will. Listen to what the Apostle Paul instructs us to believe. He says this in Romans chapter 1, verse 20. The Apostle Paul says, for his invisible attributes, he's talking about God here, for his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature have become clearly seen since the creation of the world. So underline, clearly seen since the creation of the world. In other words, you can see it. Being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. We do have a responsibility to believe in God, right? Why is that? Well, because we can clearly see God in the divine nature out there. We go into the mountains. Even non-Christians will go, man, I just feel closer to God in the mountains. And you go, I thought you were an atheist. Yeah, well... 
It says, therefore, we're without excuse because we see God in creation, don't we? But that begs the question, what if we've never been able to see the eternal power and divine nature in creation or comprehended a baby, a young child? They haven't noticed that stuff yet, have they? Or what about a special needs person that just doesn't comprehend what we're talking about here? I believe that the Bible teaches that those people are innocent and therefore in the hands of a loving God and a Savior who has died for them. Listen, mamas and daddies, I hope that gives you comfort. I believe this is solid truth right here. This is doctrine you can put your weight on. That although all of us are born With the sin nature, those that die before they can choose God are saved by Jesus and his atoning sacrifice on the cross. In other words, for those of you who have never had the opportunity to see and understand Jesus gives them his grace, they are saved. Mamas and daddies rest well. Rest well. If you've lost a baby or a young child or if you are a believer in Christ Jesus, you will see that child again in heaven. Introduce me. I'll be there. All right, back to John 3.18. Jesus says, anyone who believes in him is not condemned. Talking about himself. In the third person, he says, anyone who believes in him is not condemned. But anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. But let's ask, in regards to what Jesus is saying here in verse 18, our second question, why are they condemned? Why does it say? The answer's there. Is it because of their sin? Is that the reason they're guilty? The sin. Now, you're right. You know, look, some of you are right now picturing some sin from your past, and you're thinking, that's why I'm guilty. You know, you're thinking of the big one. You're thinking, I, I'm going to hell because I did that sin. But hang on, hang on. Let's look at verse 18 again. What does it say? Anyone who believes in him is not condemned. It's not crino. But anyone who does not believe is already condemned. Because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. Why does Jesus say they're already condemned? Look closely, look at your Bible, look at the words, because here's the edge of the cliff I was talking about. Make sure you know where the road is and where the edge of the cliff is. It says, he is not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. It's not saying that they are not guilty of all their other sins too. They are. In fact, they're already condemned. They're already judged. Already cream, no. But what is this saying? What is Jesus saying right here? If they are already condemned, the reason they are not saved now is that they have not believed in the name of the Son of God. Now, this should be the easiest question or answer to the question. What is the name of the Son of God? Please get this right. What is the name of the Son of God? You can say it louder. Say it louder. Say it louder. It's Jesus, right? So let me ask, what's in that name? I mean, what does it actually mean? 
Oh, there's still three months before Christmas, but let's jump ahead to Christmas for just a minute. You remember the angel Gabriel visits the little Virgin Mary she, and tells her she would conceive a child through the Holy Spirit. But her fi- fiancé, Joseph, had balked at the thought and decided to cut ties with her. But then Gabriel, the angel, visits Joseph in a dream. And Gabriel says this in Matthew chapter 1, verse 20. Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to name him, say it with me, Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. (laughs) Look at that name, Jesus. Those first two letters of that name. It's a combined word. You never knew it, did you? Here it is. The first two letters of Jesus' name are the first two letters of the Old Testament name for God, Jehovah. I know there's smoke coming out of my ears too. The first two letters of Jesus' name are the first two letters of the Old Testament name for God, Jehovah. Do you have that? So what are the last three letters? The last three letters of the name of Jesus stand for save or salvation. Sus. G. Sus. The last three letters of Jesus' name stand for save or salvation. So if you put this together, Jesus' name literally means what he did. Jesus' name literally translates to Jehovah saves. Someone say amen. That's powerful stuff right there. That's powerful stuff. You believe in the name of Jesus? Do you believe Jehovah saves? Now, that is the reason to worship right there. So let's just get this down. If we stand condemned already, all of us, what is the reason? Not just because of our specific sin, it is that, but also because we've not believed in the name of Jesus. And what does the name of Jesus mean? Jehovah saves. So the reason these people are saved or condemned is because they believed in Jesus' name or didn't believe in Jesus' name. The literal meaning. Talk about an edge of the road right there, baby. It's where it is. Do you believe this? Here's where we can apply it, right here in our own little little world. As we share the gospel message of Jesus coming to earth to save people, his offer of salvation, people don't usually have a hard time believing in God. If you search online, you'll find the numbers are upwards of 90%. Some say 94, 95% believe there's some God, or they may call him the universe, some kind of supernatural being. But what Jesus is saying is that's not good enough. He's saying you have to believe that I, I God came to save you. The son of God has come to die in your place to take your sins on my back. Folks, talk about a steep mountain road with infinitely high cliffs on both edges. Here's the danger. So many Christians, so many preachers have tried to sell this Ah, this gospel message, this fake message that says something like this. God has a purpose for you. God God has good plans for you. God just wants you to be happy. That's all God wants. He just, he just be happy. 
He, he, he says, and while those are nice things, the gospel message is clear. You must believe in the name of Jesus that Jehovah saves or you will remain as you are already condemned and pay your own sins in hell for all eternity. That's your status. But let's watch in verse 19 as Jesus tells the specific judgment. He, he says this in verse 19. He says, this is the judgment. He's going to outline it for us. He says, the light has come into the world and people have loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. That's the judgment. You go, Paul, I don't get it. Make sure you get this. Who is the light Jesus is referring to? Himself. Jesus is the light that comes into the physical world where we live. He came. He took on flesh. He is this light. Jesus is that light that comes into the physical world where we live. I don't know if you realize this, but the sinful world is a dark place. Talking spiritually. Jesus is described as this perfect light, God himself, that invades the darkness. So what's the problem? Why don't people just turn to the light? Seems obvious. Seems obvious to me. What does Jesus say? He says people love darkness rather than the light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. What Jesus is pointing out here is that people have been condemned not just because they have not accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, because that could simply be attributed to a lack of understanding or only that. But here's the kicker. This is the cliff. And it should send cold shivers down your spine when you get close to this. Those that are condemned prefer sin over Jesus. Those that are condemned prefer sin over Jesus. That's what Jesus is talking about. Now why is that? Why do they prefer sin over Jesus? The light has come. They see the light. They turn from the light. Because their deeds are evil and they prefer evil over Jesus. What Jesus is saying is not that Jesus has rejected people, but that they stand condemned because they rejected Jesus. Come on now. They rejected Jesus. This, this is solid truth. Before the fall of Adam, in the very first sin, Adam truly had free will. He could sin or not sin. I could sin or not sin. What I'm saying is that Adam, before that first sin, had the ability to choose, to desire, to obey God. Or to disobey God and choose sin. In Adam's free will, he chose sin over God. And the world fell. And you along with it. The offspring, all those that would be born to Adam and Eve fell as a result. You, you track in here? As the consequence of that fall, our wills, our minds are corrupted. We have lost the moral ability to choose to desire and obey God. We retain the ability to make choices, yes, but we are limited in choosing. We just prefer sin. We just prefer sin. That is until Jesus wakes us from spiritual death. 
When Jesus was facing crucifixion and he prayed the night before in the garden, you remember that? He prayed to God the Father, not my will but yours be done. In a very real sense, what Jesus is saying to the world that chooses darkness over and sin over his offer of salvation, Jesus is saying, well, not my will then, yours be done. Buddy, if you go to hell for your sins, you paddle your own boat there. The author C.F. Lewis tried to capture this thought by saying, hell is locked from the inside and they don't want out. While that's not addressed specifically in a, in a, a scripture directly, there, there's some real truth in that statement. Those that reject Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord are condemned to hell. By the justice of God, God locks them in hell. Yes, that's judgment. And remember, the simple definition of judgment is you get what you deserve. So perhaps condemned to hell by the justice of God, people are getting what they deserve. And this is going to mess you up. They get what they want. Which is not God. What C.S. Lewis is trying to point out that the condemned don't want Jesus now. And they don't want him in hell either. So God lets them go and get what they want. Let's go back to verse 19. Chapter 3 of John. Remember, this is the final part of the conversation of Jesus responding to this very learned man, this Pharisee Nicodemus. The top teacher. Verse 19. Jesus says, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. People are naturally sinful. They're naturally fallen. It's our natural condition. Instead, we prefer darkness. Why is that? Well, if Jesus is the light, Light exposes sin, and we don't want to to be shown our sins, do we? We don't want to be shown how bad, how wrong. Now, notice, I said we don't want to be shown our sins are wrong and bad. It's why the world will do anything it can to stop the Bible from being preached. Oh, they don't mind it if you don't mention the parts of the Bible that don't mention sin parts. Or if you kind of redefine sin is not right and wrong, but merely poor choices versus better choices. They don't mind that. But mark my words, buddy, if you preach what Jesus says and teaches about sin, what Jesus himself says, people come unglued. And it will get you nailed to a cross. It will get you thrown into prison. And listen, people dying for their faith in Christ Jesus is not something from just in the past. You may not realize that right now. People are dying. I mean, as I'm speaking these words, people are dying because they believe in Jesus and espouse such. It happens tens of thousands of times every year, possibly up to 250,000 a year. Places like China, North Korea, Nigeria, Afghanistan. I'm sure that, that not in too long distant future that we will face people demonstrating here 
at Bentry at our campus because we preach what the word of God says and they call that hate speech. Here's a warning because we are seeing this in northern Colorado. Churches that used to be solid as a rock and follow scripture have fallen to this false doctrine. What is the false doctrine? Here it is. There is a perversion of the Christian church today that attempts to accommodate the prevailing culture of the world the progress, called the progressive church. False teaching alert. There is a perversion of the Christian church today that attempts to accommodate the prevailing culture called the progressive church. You know that it was perverted by the modifier progressive. Jesus doesn't change. The progressive church in the United States is actually just the same old liberal Christianity recycled, given a new paint job, put some skinny jeans on them and they're good to go. (laughs) Its theology can best be described as this progressive church theology. A God without wrath brought a man without sin into a kingdom without judgment through a cross without Christ. (laughs) Yeah, Christ without a cross. Progressive church theology, a God without wrath brought a man without sin into a kingdom without judgment through a Christ without a cross. They don't want you to look at the real Jesus. I hope you don't need any more explanation on why this is heresy. But sadly, it's growing and aims to subvert historic, evangelical, orthodox, reformed Christianity. Folks, that's our heritage. Why I get so upset here is that I see once good churches with solemn doctrine that I served in falling to this mess. And what brought this about was little teaching from the Bible, light preaching that only taught you that you, you're the center of the universe. You're so special to God. God, God just revolves around you because he loves you so much he doesn't care what you do. Oh, God, would you just be happy? Just be happy. This kind of shallow preaching sometimes is heretical preaching that has just eliminated preaching about the blood of Christ as the forgiveness of sin and the need for our repentance from that sin. And don't miss this. That kind of stuff is straight from the enemy. Satan is leading that kind of church. You can see it when they call biblical teaching hate speech. Why would they call the love of Christ and his offer of salvation to save you from hell hate speech? Why would they do that? Because it's from the enemy. Because for us to be saved, we have to be saved from something. And that something is sin. And you got it. And you got it bad. Remember, before we can approach the good news, we must come to grips personally with the bad news. Before we can be saved, we must realize that we're lost. When a person comes to the point that that you do see the light of Jesus, it must be because God has already begun a new work in you. You couldn't have because you were dead before that. You've been regenerated, born again. Because if you haven't, you will hate the light. How do we know 
that. Look at what Jesus says in verse 21. Jesus says, but anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light, him, so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. Watch carefully. Watch carefully what Jesus is telling us. Anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light. Now, that's not how we live that saves us. No, no, no. That's actually saying the exact opposite. The free offer of the gospel is great enough to save the vilest sinner. But at the same time, narrow enough to exclude all who reject Christ Jesus as Savior. But to all those who do come to Jesus on his terms... He gives this great promise. Look at 6.37. John 6.37. Jesus says, everyone the Father gives me. Who's giving him these people? The Father. He says, everyone the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will never cast out. This is where Jesus lands the plane for Nicodemus late that night. We're born condemned. But if we think of a courtroom setting... We have been found guilty, but this is the good news that although you and all people are born under the judgment of God, it is never necessary for anyone ever to remain there. There is a way of escape. Look at what the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 8.1. Paul says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Because the law, the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Believing in the name of Jesus, in what and who he is, that he died to save those who would believe. Would you believe? It's a question. Would you put your trust in Jesus to forgive your sins? Would you turn from your sin then and darkness and turn to the light, Jesus? When I describe what it's like going off-roading in those high mountain passes, those roads, it seems strange to me that people sometimes, they get the shudders when I'm just talking about it. Like I'm standing outside and they're like going, Ooh. you know what I mean? Uh, they, they get scared even to think about, they go, I'd never go with you. I ask them what? What scares you so bad? And they say, it's those steep edges, those sheer drop-offs. And I guess I don't mind those high roads because I know where the edges are. And I watch them closely to make sure that I stay on the road that many people have gone on before me. Those roads share should scare you. If you're not scared of them, you don't know where to look. Then <laughs> You don't... You don't know that it's important that you make sure your position. What I find ironic is that most people seem to be scared of things like that. But they pay no attention to the eternal danger that they face in hell and separation from God and all others forever. Do you have your eyes on the right thing? Do you know where the edges are? Do you know where the road to life is? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm just so amazed again to read your word in John chapter 3. It's just so rich, so full of your goodness.
God, I'm just blown away with what you have done in this church through this series. God, I pray right now for the people who call themselves Christians just to have that fire reignited in them. Christian, this is where I need you to pray right now. Lifting up those people in your life that you don't think they're saved or you don't know. Would you just pray? Maybe there's a specific name you start praying for. If you're not a Christian, would you look up here? I've shared my heart with you. I've shared what Jesus says. Do you believe this? Do you believe that the God of the universe who created everything, including you, took on flesh, the Son of God took on flesh and came here to live the perfect life and to die as a sacrifice for your sins? If you do, then you have been saved. You've been regenerated, born again, what Jesus says. Because you didn't come up with that on your own. It's not that I'm a good salesman. The Holy Spirit of God woke you up from the dead. So here's what you need to do. Move that from just some, this intellectual understanding up here in your brain and move it to your core of you. We call it your heart, not the beating muscle, but the center of you. Your emotions, your thoughts, who you really are. Move it to there. Is this true? If it is, then let's let that show in our lives. The way you live, repent. Listen, if you're just coming to Jesus, you got all kinds of wrong thoughts in your head and I've been a, a believer for many, many years and I still struggle with sin and will till I die. The struggle, the temptation and even fall into sin, that's not gonna take you out. But what you've got to start to do is repent of that sin. Fight against it. Fight against the sin every day. You do that by reading God's word, being at church, being in a D3 group, walking with other Christians along this path. So here's what you do. Thank God for your salvation. First step. Say thank you God for your love of giving your son. Put it in your own words. And then I would pray something like this. I don't know anything, God. I don't know what's up, down, sideways. I need to grow. I'm just a baby in understanding this. Help me to grow to that next level of my faith. And then do this. So you can have all my tomorrows. You can have the decision-making authority in my life. Now that one's hard. It's taken me years to pray that, but every day you're getting up and going, God, I'm yours. What do you want me to do? You're repenting every day because you're going to screw up every day, but God's love is still good. The, the, the forgiveness of Jesus has covered all those sins. So you just say, I, I just want to know what to do. I want to know how to serve you. And then sometime soon, you're going to want to do this. You're going to want to get baptized. 
Listen, you're saved already because you believe. Baptism is this outward symbol, something we do physically to show what's happened inside our hearts. It's, it's where we put you in a, a tank and we dunk you underwater. The water doesn't save you. It's not magic water. But what you were doing there is you're giving the testimony to the world, to me, to Jesus. You're saying, look, the dead me is gone and the new me has been raised from the dead. We'll have one of those coming up. If you want to do that, just reach out to me or send the church office a note. End your prayer like this. End your prayer like this. Jesus, I love you. Show me how to serve you. Show me how to follow you. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Bentry Church. To get connected at Bentry and for more information, please visit BentreeChurch.com.